Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Good to see you, Heights. Always good to be with family. And uh, I always have some observations about Heights when I come here. Uh, The first would be uh, Corey had to explain that he sold some motorcycles, etc., because I said anybody who can pay off $30,000 of debt in a few weeks obviously has paid too much money. So we had that observation at the uh, first service. Uh, Second observation is that uh, in this room, on this stage, I'm 6'4", and I feel a bit like Gandalf in a hobbit house. With a, with, a pl- with a plane landing on the, on the landing strip here right now. So if you've ever been up here, I'm getting a tan as we, as we speak. <laughs> but uh, to, in all fairness, I think the decision uh, to uh, move into this building out of the Y was made at City on a Hill, the, pa- the church that I pastor, and I had a lot to do with that. So if you ever get uncomfortable with anything at Heights, you can just blame me. Uh, third observation uh, would be that uh, I love preaching to second service people because you are serious sinners like me. I just, I think it's fantastic. All of you were up way past 10 p.m. last night and my, my grandmother told me that nothing good ever happens after 10 p.m. So it's good to be with other serious sinners uh, here this morning. Hey, uh, that passage that Aaron just read is really serious. Uh, we will have some somber moments But I thought we would start with a little uh, levity here to show you who helped me design this sermon uh, over the uh, previous weeks that my granddaughter's living with us right now. And so she was up every morning helping me put this together. So if there's anything that makes sense, she wrote it. And uh, anything that doesn't, I had everything to do with that. Uh, But, uh, you know, it's scientists say that uh, women, uh, females need to speak 25,000 words a day. Uh, Sadie blows that away by 9 a.m. Just so you know, I've never encountered a human being that talks more than that child. So it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. But thanks to uh, Corey, David, Jeff, amazing staff here. It's always good to see A and the kids, friends for a long time. You know, it's easy to picture because our, uh, our culture is kind of designed it this way, all of Revelation being about end times. And the wrath that is still on those uh, who have not believed in Jesus um, is, and that's nothing about that is wrong. That's actually correct. It's just not the main purpose of this text. And so we're going to get to the main purpose of this text. This letter was written to Christians in really trying times, much more trying than most of what we go through here in our Western culture. I mean, you here in Illinois just went through a period of time, uh, it looks like it's dropped a little bit now, of $6 gas. That, that, That for Western culture is like a trying time. I filled up, I got caught heading to Detroit over here and had to fill up in Illinois one time during the middle of that, and it was $666 to fill up my gas tank. The, the, the gas tax of the state of Illinois is obviously the mark of the beast. And so, <laughs> but 
But that's not the purpose. Of, that's not the, pur- the purpose of this text is to provide relief for people who are in vastly more trying times than that. For people who are suffering intensely from persecution, from depression, from serious issues. And maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe that's where you've been as you've gotten into this series. And here's what it's designed to do. It's designed to show you that the incredible Jesus that we worship, that we just sang about here, that we have uh, gone through all this liturgy about this morning, is worthy, first of all, and capable of handling anything that you're going through. And so my prayer this morning is that you, as you gaze upon him, gaze upon his realities, that you would find him more beautiful than when you woke up this morning. Can we go there? Are you ready? All right, let's go. Verse one, John writes this. He says, then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Now, in an age where the word judgment is a cuss word, (laughs) just basically is, right? Like you hear it all the time, don't judge me. So the word judgment is basically a cuss word. We get reminded here that the God who has brought so much mercy in Jesus has not lost his hatred of sin. Because this judgment that has just been described has happened throughout all of history since the fall in the garden, and it's happening in our context now, and it will happen in a real serious way when Jesus comes back. But he has not lost his hatred of sin, and harsh judgment for rejecting his offer in Jesus is still upon those who have not believed. So let me just put it up on the screen like this. God's wrath against rebellion has never changed and will never change. It gets easy to think because God has been so gracious to us that maybe he's not quite as serious about sin as he once was. And let's just not be confused that, uh, and, and here's what it will do. It will raise our view of Jesus if we understand this. If we lessen God's judgment, our view of Jesus goes down. Our view of his incredible grace and mercy to us goes down. But the wrath of God is real, and we're about to see some pictures you know, that's, that's, that's what has been done so well here. I've gone to watch some of the sermons they've done through Revelation here. And what, what John is getting is some windows of reality, both past, present, and future. And I just think it feels a bit like a scene from Tombstone. And I realize Tombstone is 1993. I'm a boomer. I'm sorry. Some of you were not born in 1993. But if you have parents that have any sense at all, they've shown you the movie Tombstone. I'm just saying it's kind of part of the gospel. And, <laughs> going to get that out there. But Wyatt Earp had this line in there. He said, you tell them I'm coming and hell's coming with me. That was my my best Kurt Russell. You guys, you guys got to help me out here just a little bit. Verse two says this. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. These angels were noticed. They're just immediately obedient. The king calls out and says, go pour the bowls of wrath. And these angels are just immediately obedient. And harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. So this window reveals how all this plays out historically, consistent across all of history. Let me tell you what I mean. You will see these bowls in the past. If you read scripture, you go back and read the book of Exodus, you will see this is the sixth plague on Egypt. Any of you that remember the plagues on Egypt, sores and uh, terrible boils showed up on uh, the people, the Egyptians who had the Hebrew people in bondage. You'll see these bowls now. I believe you still see them now. Monkeypox in godless places. No monkeypox in the garden. 
It has is, it is showed up since our rebellion, since the curse. And I'm not saying God is attacking some particular community. Don't, don't misread what I'm saying. But I do know this, that most Christians who are going home to their spouse in a healthy uh, set of relationships are not getting monkeypox. And then there will, third, there will be some essence of these bowls in the future. This mark of the beast, so let's, let me just be clear here. We just brought up the mark of the beast. Let's be clear about that. We got all messed up back in the 70s. We got all kinds of ideas about what the mark of the beast was, and it started rumors, and a bunch of these came back up during the pandemic, if you noticed it, but it's spiritual, not physical. The mark of the beast is spiritual, not physical. Do, let, me just, let me put it this way. This may be controversial for you. Due to our rebellion, the mark of the beast is on all of the 20 billion people who have ever lived since the garden. We start with the mark of the beast on us. Therefore, all people have a need to have that mark taken off and be replaced by a superior mark, which is the mark of the lamb. That's the gift of grace to you, is the mark of the lamb, which replaces the mark of the beast that you were born with. Once again, if we view it that way, if we stop, so if we stop replacing the God who is with the one we've made up our minds to be palatable for us, we will appreciate Jesus more because he's the one who replaces that mark with the one that brings redemption. And you may have established the mark in great teaching here, but let me just be, be clear. All of the weirdness that got started by the, the late great planet Earth. Anybody study the late, you're old enough. Did you study the late great planet Earth back in the 70s? <laughs> Yeah, I know you did. <laughs> and then that got, that got continued by this, these whack job left behind series things. Some of you are mad at me right now because I like live for left behind, right? It's okay. But all that was about microchips and tattoos and credit cards and Russian helicopters and that all those things bring, bring, the, bring the judgment. Just stop. Stop, please. The mark is not physical. I mean, in the 60s, in the 60s, we got, in the 60s, we got told that tattoos were the mark. And that's a real problem here at Heights, man. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I mean, pastors, pastors' wives, that, that's a problem. In the, in the 70s, we got told it was journey. Now, Abe, I got news. Like, whoa, wait, hey. If you're going to pick a band, it's not like Steve Perry singing love songs, right? I mean, it's, it's, I mean you know, it might something a little bit like Black Sabbath. It had to be, had to be something a little more devilly than, than Journey. But it is a spiritual mark. Revelation 14 brought up that there is a mark of, of the Lamb, right? It, well, that mark doesn't actually show up on our forehead. I mean, it talks about the, the mark of the Lamb would be on our forehead when we go to judgment. If you have a mark on you today, it's probably a pimple. It's not, it's not physical. It's a status of the, of the heart. Just go get some soap. It'll, it'll, it'll work out. But we will not have our foreheads scanned to get in the gate. What's going to happen to get in the gate? Peel back the heart. God's going to peel back the heart. What's in the heart? Are you owned by Jesus? Has he bought you with his blood? Our hearts will be known. Jesus, know Jesus. 
So these marks are figurative language. But the lamb mark means that the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world has claimed this person for his own. The connection. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The mark of the lamb. Verse 3 says this. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like the blood of a corpse and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and into the springs of water and they became blood. So let's do that same historical thing again. Historically, first plague on Egypt, blood in the Nile, and I don't know if you've ever thought about how much death came along if all the fresh water supply to a nation becomes blood. Death was everywhere. Blood in the water means that God has shut off life. Let me, let me give you a current context for that, maybe. This is just Tim. This is not Bible. Okay? So the country of Pakistan sits right next to India, ranked as one of the top three nations in the world for being hard on Christians, for the persecution of Christians, hatred of Christians, death to Christians. Think about this now. One-third of Pakistan this morning is covered by water from flooding. Now, I don't know how much of that is like God's direct judgment on Pakistan. Yeah. But just think, just think if one-third of the U.S. was covered by water this morning. We would be freaking out. Freaking out. So history, now something's coming in the future. But look at the saints' response to this correct judgment. We need to see God's judgment is correct. Look at this. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, just, just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. We have we kind of given a little, a little nudge there to support the judgment of God. Stop lessening the, God's view of judgment. Okay? Instead of, what's wrong with God? Or don't judge us. Let me, let me just set this over you. You're in a great church. Taught the Bible really well. The saints know. You know that the judgments are real. But that you're, but that you're safe from those judgments. The judgment on those who have passed wrong judgment, especially against the saints, will drink of death. I didn't mention any of these folks by name. I meant to ask Corey if we could bring up their names. But you've got to understand that some of the best pastors around, pastors that have had a huge influence on this church, huge influence on me, are under incredible attack right now. Wondering if they're going to be able to continue. And it is because wolves from the den of Satan have entered their churches and decided to try to get them out. They have been sent by the other side. And let me just tell you this. You got to prepare. You got to prepare your hearts. You got to prepare. You got to help your pastors. You got to help each other as we decentralize this church because a wolf is coming here. Because you can't have this many people in a place finding Jesus, being discipled into Jesus, followers of Jesus, serious. I heard you sing. You were believable when you sing. Some people are fake when they sing. You're believable when you sing. I believe your love for Jesus is real, and Satan is pissed off. Can I say that? <laughs> Sorry. 
It's safe. It's the late service. Sinners, here we go. So at City on a Hill, we just had a, a social media attack on a leader. A serious one. And here's all I'll say about that is those folks might want to take care, according to this passage. They better make sure, if you're going to attack, a, you're going to attack one of Christ's followers, you better make sure you know you're right. But a much bigger question is this. I, mean, I deeply want you to encounter this in your mind right now. How is our confidence, how is your confidence in the perfect judgment of God? Let me just say this. If you have doubts about the perfect judgment of God, some things are going to start happening inside of you that are not healthy for you or your family or your community. You're going to hesitate to make Jesus the centerpiece of what's talked about in your home. You're going to hesitate to make Jesus the centerpiece about what's talked about in your neighborhood. Because as people say, I'm not sure I trust God, you might inside your soul be going, well, I'm not sure I trust him either. Because I'm not sure he's got my best interest. I'm not sure his judgments are perfect. And so the question is, will all people receive exactly what they deserve? Because God's perfect. Let me, let, me, let me read verse 7 to you, and let me show you what you'll be saying in heaven when you get there when you see Jesus. When you look at him in the face, this is what you're going to say. Yes, and I heard the altar saying, this is the, the saints, the people, yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. So you might as well start saying now what you'll be saying then. Can you say that right now with extreme confidence? See, your daily confidence of living, and let me tell you what else happens for you, your ability to forgive others. Has anybody in this room not been hurt by somebody in your life? Just, can you get your hand up, please? Can you get your, because I want to hang out with you. All right, that means everybody else in this room, unless you all are some liars, have been hurt by somebody that, and the requirement on you in this Bible that we teach is that you must forgive them. If you're struggling to forgive them, it may be because you don't actually believe that God's judgments are pure and true. Because once you believe his judgments are pure and true, you can let them go. Your soul can be at peace and you can let them go because he's going to handle it if they don't repent and believe in him. And then you have to, then you have this, anybody have anybody ever have somebody that really hurt you and then they met Jesus and you were kind of mad about that? Like, I couldn't wait for God to kick them in the tail. And they messed around and met Jesus for real. And that kind of bothers me. I'm a much better preacher with sinners, man. You never notice that? It's a faith and trust issue. It's a faith and trust issue. You'll speak highly of Jesus if you believe his judgments are pure and true. So let's review some of the historical tenets that make Revelation 16 make sense. Because this is, Corey handed me such an easy passage. Here we go. One, God is perfectly holy and perfectly just. If you agree with that statement, say it back with me. God is perfectly holy and perfectly just. Okay? Second, he determines what is holy and just and what is not. And how do you know where that is? Well, that's your Bible in your in your hand, in your phone. Three, 
he commanded his created image bearers to maintain that image by staying submitted to his goodness. So he told Adam and Eve, hey, you got one rule. Don't eat from that tree, right? He tells us, hey, you got one rule. Submit yourself to the glory of Jesus. Are you doing any better than Adam and Eve did? Good question, huh? Good question. Am I doing any better than Adam and Eve did? We must be submitted to his goodness, his tree of life. Eat there, he said. His determined judgment for refusing that submission and eating at the one tree they were told not to eat at was what? Death. Thank you to the one person who's read the Bible in here. <laughs> his judgment is pure. His judgment is pure. We ate. He said, you're going to die. We die. Maybe not die the second death. Four. All of the causes of these wild bowls that we're reading about today were in the knowledge, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They got uncorked when Adam and Eve ate the tree. So why would they unlock that? Makes no sense. But we unlock it every day. Makes no sense. Historically, we rebelled, number five, partaking of that tree. We rejected his love. I'm glad none of us have done that in the last few days. Result, these correct bowls of judgment sit on us unless somebody qualifies, qualified substitutes for us. Yes? They just sit on us. Sometimes they come out in crazy ways. We do things we can't even understand that we do. But until we submit to the perfect one, Verse 6 actually says, it is what the rebellious deserve. Can you, can you say that this morning? Can we agree with that this morning? I, th I think we can. 6, Jesus was qualified to take him. Now the, the news starts to get better. He's qualified to substitute because he is perfectly holy. You know, the most under-talked about essence of the gospel, we talk about his death and his resurrection. Superb stuff to talk about, yes? But... We don't talk enough about his sinless life. His sinless life qualified him to take your garbage away. But as a human out of fear, even Jesus said, hey, listen, like I'm pretty excited about coming here to earth and taking care of things. I'm submitted to you, Father. But when it comes to you pouring out all these bowls of wrath on me, uh, can, we, can we find another way? Am I tracking what I'm saying here? In the garden, he just goes like, uh, you know, because I think a lot of people teach, you know, those nails, man, those nails are going to hurt. Nails through the feet going to hurt. It wasn't the physical stuff, folks. It was these bowls of God's wrath. That was the cup that he's asking to escape. But he went anyway. Good news? He got courage from the Spirit, and he went anyway. Out of love, then the Father agreed to crush Jesus. We just talked about that in liturgy a while ago with these bowls at the cross. It happened. And here's the good news for you today. If you remember nothing else today, because Jesus took these bowls of wrath, you don't have to experience them. Here's what I would even say. You don't even have to experience them in depression now, let alone someday in the final judgment. It happened. So we can say, yes, Lord, True and just are your judgments. You want correct judgment. You want it. You want it. 
We submit to the tree of life, Jesus. Keep us away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Jesus. Is that what you want? Did we go to sleep? So through verse 7, here's what we've seen. We've seen three bowls, and those are the responses of the saints in heaven. Okay? Now we're going to look at four bowls and the response of the ungodly. Here we go. Verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. Look at their response. They did not repent and give him glory. Here's what we see over and over and over historically. It happens in your neighborhood every day. In the past and the present, warning shots sent to the ungodly. God is worthy of our glory. He's holy. Let's give him his glory. That's the message from heaven. Happened right there in the, in the passage. What happens with the response of the ungodly? Crickets. Nothing said. No response. No repentance or praise from the mark of the beast, folks. That's most of my neighbors. Is it most of yours? Most of your coworkers? Most of your friends? Most of your family? Most of the people around you? Just say, hey, God is full of glory. And my life is over because I'm going to give him glory. Would you like to join me and see what they say? Most of the time you're going to hear crickets. But mission means we're going to pray for God to sweetly regenerate their souls. Let's pray that right now. Everybody bow your heads and let's pray. Join me in this prayer. Father, there's folks all over the Metro East here who when they hear that God is full of glory and he's demanding that we give him his glory by worshiping his son Jesus and we say there's bowls of judgment on you if you don't. If you don't. And their response is crickets. But here's what we know is that by the power of your spirit, everybody in this room at one time rejected you and you have brought them in. So we celebrate that. And then we ask that you would do the same for our coworkers, our friends, our family, our neighbors, all that we know who are responding with nothing. All because you love them and to reveal your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Wake up every day together and pray that as you fast and you'll see a whole bunch of people come to Jesus and you'll be wearing out some baptisms here at Heights Community Church. Here we go. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. Look at the response. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. So people watch righteous judgment poured out against the obviously wicked. And instead of feeling loved, they, lashed out, they lash out. You know, God sends messages to people all the time. If you want to dwell in the kingdom of darkness, here's what darkness looks like. So, what, so what's the response? Sometimes it's the Spirit comes and says, you need to turn to Jesus, and they turn to Jesus. But sometimes they just respond this way. They lash out. I hate you, God. Why do they hate God? Well, he took away their idol. Came out, came out big time during the pandemic. Oh, I can't live my life of comfort as I want to live my life of comfort. I'm not sure I like God so much right now. I thought it. Anybody, 
You want to join me in just confessing? Like, I missed some of my comfort idols. But most of my neighborhood is angry like this. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, Jesus says, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake. Anybody in here awake? Keeping his garments on not naked because we don't have to be guilty and ashamed anymore that he may not go about naked and be seen as exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Finally, Armageddon. We got to Armageddon. We're going to find out when Jesus is coming back. Now it's, now it's getting exciting. All the Avenger Endgame fans are in the room are going like, all right, Spider-Man got resurrected. Let's go to war, Jesus. Come on down with your white horse and tatted leg and all the heights people say amen because Jesus has one too. And let's smoke Thanos and the bad people. Honestly, there's just a little too much war language around Christians these days. But hasn't all that been happening ever since the cross? I mean, everything we just read, hasn't it been happening? It's, I mean, there may be a day when... Armageddon plays out. I've been there. It's just a little farming thing, a little farming valley. There's nothing extraordinary about the valley of Armageddon. But rebellious sinners have waged war against the holiness of God ever since Adam and Eve rebelled. So there's been judgment. Old Testament, flood. New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira. I was cracking jokes. Uh, anybody knows who Kempton Turner is? Kempton Turner is the only one crazy enough to preach Ananias and Sapphira being killed by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament church at a marriage retreat. <laughs> Metro East Jesus people, I tell you what. But most of all, death without salvation. Lots of people have died since Adam and Eve without salvation, Right? Separation from God makes us naked and ashamed. That's a garden reference. So let's receive God's covering. What's his covering? Jesus. Let's receive his covering. It's Jesus. So we're not naked. So the question, you might be having a question like, can we figure out if there's a time before Jesus busts back through the clouds where the bowls will increase in intensity? Is this war coming? Is Russia the great you know, Satan, I don't know. <laughs> if you came to have Tim say, yeah, I've heard from God and I know, I don't know. Jesus just said he's coming like a thief. And let me tell you what that made me think about. It might be different in Collinsville, I don't know, but in Jefferson County where I live, the enemy quietly wins. How do I know that? Because comfort is king. what I know is that those sometimes that reject God, it seems like there's just a lot of goodness around them and it seems like they're winning. That's all over the Psalms. But then verses eight and nine is what we see. The, the consequences of sin eventually hits folks and instead of repentance, they curse God. So here's my challenge, Heights. How often do we mimic them? 
curse shows up. The curse always shows up. This place is broken, right? The curse shows up. Comfort is affected. What's our reaction? Theirs is to curse God. Are we mimicking the ungodly that it obviously doesn't turn out well for in the end? Or does it drive us to worship? Does it drive us to being needy? You know, you know your training as an American really hurts you as a Christian. Because Americans are trained not to be needy, and the whole Bible's based on you being needy. We're, we're in a country that's formed on independence, and we're required to be completely dependent on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, right? It's just kind of a conflict that we have to work our way through. So how deeply is it rooted in your soul that Jesus has already won? That's, that's the message from here to the end of the sermon is Jesus has already won. I don't know about a battle at Armageddon through a dry river Euphrates because Jesus has already won. Is anybody in here that believes that there's victory at the cross? That there's complete victory over Satan, complete victory over death, complete victory over sin, complete victory. Do we live our lives like we're in complete victory? Are we waiting for him to completely snuff it out at the river Euphrates? I think we need to live it like he's completely won already. Some of you started, if, you, if that would have been in a Pentecostal or a black church, people would have started running around the room. You understand that, right? <laughs> Blessed is the one who stays awake. See, I'm not worried about these bowls. Anybody else, anybody with me? Anybody want to just join me? I'm not worried about these bowls. I'm not worried about them. My garments are on. I'm an imperfect man trusting a perfect Savior to reveal his glory. <laughs> That's a pretty good way to look at it, isn't it? Can you say that? Can you say, I'm in? I'm in. Boldly, I'm in. I believe he's won. If not, I invite you right now to put the real Jesus on, not the one you got made up in your mind that you can, you can kind of put in the closet until you need him. Because we need him every day. Revelation chapter 16, verse 17 says this, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple. Look at all these cross references in here. We all think this is in the future. Look at all these cross references from the throne saying, it is done. What did Jesus say? It is finished. Not, not I'm going to finish it someday at the river Euphrates. It's done. This is being said in heaven right now. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. It was a pretty good one that day. It split the curtain from top to bottom. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they... Curse God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. I mean, how many references to the cross of Jesus where all of this was laid on him do we need? Do you believe in this room? It's finished. It's done. God roars judgment here, but he doesn't roar it on you. Because our solution is we put on what Jesus put on on the cross. And so we receive him. The end result is Christ took it all and 
still rebellious man rejects. Our unbelieving neighbors, you know, you know why our unbelieving neighbors curse God, and some of you may be cursing God as well in this room right now, and God's calling you to stop because the true kingdom is raining down on our false kingdoms. You know, we live in a place that promises a lot of uh, satisfaction in some false kingdoms, right? And every time our false kingdoms don't suffice, because God will never let your false kingdom suffice. You understand that, right? The book of Romans says that he intentionally frustrates you when you're worshiping a false kingdom so that you will turn to him. He will never let it stand. And so the items that get smashed as the bowls are released represent all the false gods that we serve, and we have many. But Tim, how does this play out in the future exactly? I don't know. I don't know. Except I do know that he's already won. I do know that he's already won. Doesn't matter. It's done. It's finished. Let me put it this way. Jesus won Armageddon. It came against him at the cross and he won. You know how I know that? He ain't dead. He came out of the tomb. He ain't dead. You didn't lose Armageddon if you're still alive after they killed you. So the beast lost at the cross and especially lost at the resurrection. And here's what I do know that it's already been played out in human history for you. As you leave here today and you're contemplating the bowls and you go back and read it some other time and you go, oh my goodness, that's a, man, 100 pound hailstones. That's scary. It's not scary for you if your full faith and trust is in the Lord Jesus. See, all of these judgments have hit the earth before and they will again. And physically you may not be safe because all of us know some dyed-in-the-wool Christian completely faithful in Jesus. Maybe you have some in this church who have cancer or they're suffering through relational disasters that are not their fault. So I don't have any guarantee that your life is going to be perfect from this point. That's, that's, that's what costs and allowed the rise of the prosperity gospel. But I do have this assurance for you that in the middle of me not being able to promise that you're physically safe, your soul is safe. And that's what matters. And all in Christ and looking forward to Christ are justified, declared not guilty in God's perfect judgment and saved from the bowls of the wrath of just judgment. How do I know that? The Bible says over and over again that all the wrath that the Father had stored up in his anger against sin for rebellious image bearers was placed on Jesus at the cross. And you know what that lets us do? Breathe. Breathe. Relax. Wouldn't it be good for Americans just to relax? Rest? And stop being so anxious? Because we don't understand the world around us? Is anything you see around you worse than what we just read? And God says, Jesus has taken all that for you. You remember how Erin uh, started us today? She read the big idea, which is this. Without the substitution of Jesus, these bowls of wrath are met for us. All of us. Every human being on earth. We who serve false gods deserve them. And Jesus did not. But he took all of them for those who believe.
Yeah? Took all of them for those who believe. And then it says that's the definition of love. And as God pours his love into you with that realization that there's a really high view of the Jesus that took all that wrath for me, right? As I get that realization of that, it can't help but pour out on some others. Once I've received that love, because I really am dealing with the God who is instead of the one I made up in my mind, I can now love others. And I have to apologize to you because I've been here and preached before, and I wasn't healthy enough to love you well. And that's getting better. Because I've gotten some obstacles out of the way so you can love me. And this was a big one. And so I'm going to invite you to have whatever you experience you need with Holy Communion. If you're a believer in the room, this is a church that welcomes you, whether you're a member of this church or not, to take communion. And let me just give you a couple of uh, directions for that. There are baskets on both sides here. And um, since Jesus took the bowls of wrath, you will not be judged if you walk up and get one, just so you know. But you will receive a bowl of judgment if you open your communion wrapper before I'm done praying, just so you know. <laughs> he saved one bowl of wrath for you. Let's pray. And let's experience the fullness of God's victory at the Armageddon that was the cross. Okay? God, thank you. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your presence in this room. It is um, absolutely thrilling that Jesus at his victory over Armageddon at the cross also gave us access to be with you today, to be in your presence. And so we let us not leave here not appreciating that. And this meal that we take, this idea that we open this little container and there's a wafer in there that kind of tastes like styrofoam and we, and we taste it, and we, but let's not lose what it's designed to do. It's designed to appreciate this body that was attacked as all the judgment of God was laid upon it. And let us not forget as we drink that cup and we taste it that that's the blood, the reference, the, the symbol of the blood that uh, provides forgiveness. Your death gives us forgiveness. Your death gives us the kingdom. Your death gives us a release from the bowls of judgment. And we love you for it. And we give our lives back to you. We love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength because of it. In Christ's name, amen.